Uh, we're doing a sermon series uh, on discipleship. We're going to talk in this sermon series about uh, why you should be a disciple of Jesus. At the All Church Retreat, we're going to talk about how to be a disciple of Jesus. Following that uh, retreat, uh, we may be talking about how to make disciples of Jesus. Uh, but the question in this part of the series is, why be a disciple of Jesus? And when I say, why be a disciple of Jesus, uh, that stands in contrast to the question, why not just be a believer in Jesus? Because there is a difference, right? You could believe in Jesus, you could agree with what he teaches, but, but Jesus never really invited anyone to agree with what he, what he taught. When Jesus came into a person's life and they were interested in him, he said, follow me. He didn't say agree with me, he said, follow me. He said, come, uh, join this adventure, join this journey, let's start uh, the work. Uh, why should you be a follower? Why should you be a disciple of Jesus? What are some reasons? Life is better. All right, so we need to preach this sermon series is what I'm, is what I'm, I'm gathering. Uh, let's, uh, let's take what I think is a fairly obvious answer. Uh, do you think a lot about, you know, life after death? Anyone? Let me ask that seriously. How many of you have thought about life after death a lot this week? Yeah, we don't think a lot about eternity as a, as a group, as a culture. I think, I think that shifts uh, from age to age, culture to culture, but, but I, I don't think generally uh, we do. Um, I think about life after death every day, every day. That's something uh, that I can say uh, about my life, and I find that to be an engine of discipleship. But I think that we would agree that life after death uh, is, a, is a big deal. If you can live forever, relative to the alternative, that's fairly consequential. Yes? And one of the great theme statements of the kingdom of God comes from John 3.16. Let us recite it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have Eternal life, life everlasting, life everlasting, or shall not die, depends on your translation. Um, that's, that's, that's a big deal. The whole eternal life thing is a big deal. Right? Yeah, sort of living forever ever versus dying forever. Uh, that's, that's a fairly good reason to be a disciple. Uh, and if you don't think a lot about the next life, um, you might be limited in your ability to be a disciple as a practical matter. It's one of the things that we will explore today. If I told you that in following Jesus from here on out, everything in your life would completely suck, that you would be subject to endless humiliations and frustrations, sacrifices and sufferings, and that you would receive no comfort or no respect at all for the rest of your days without a break, but that you would be rewarded with eternal life and treasures in heaven, would you do it? Is that a fair trade? I don't really feel like you're with me this morning. <laughs> would, that, would that be a fair trade? If... For the rest of your life, you had to sit together with 300 people that you knew marginally well and sweat in a stinky gym in Palama, but that in the next life you would receive 
eternal life and rewards. Would you do it? Okay, I feel like I'm starting to get to the heart of things here. Um, if, if you answer yes to my question, then you have nothing at all to complain about in life if you're a follower of Jesus. Like, no matter what goes on here, it's worth it if we get to live infinitely, forever. Because whatever problems, whatever sufferings, whatever sacrifices, frustrations, disappointments that we have in this life are infinitely small compared to an infinitely long eternal life, right? And there are lots of Bible verses about that. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you could probably quote a few. But could you do it? Could you follow Jesus on those terms, really? Like, if for the rest of your life, however long, however many decades that is for you, um, if you could, uh, could you follow Jesus if your life was just one big, long, endless frustration and you got nothing out of the deal, you just had to wait for the next life? Could you pull it off? Well, that's a... That's a, that's a different question. Without God? You're with God, so how could your life be an endless frustration? Well, we are, we are with God, but not as with God as we will be in eternity, right? So uh, I think that's how. I think that's how it can be an endless frustration. Uh, he's not visible and obvious uh, as we would like him to be uh, in this life, uh, even if you are a spiritual giant. Uh, even Jesus seems to suggest that, well, you know, probably you won't be able to pull it off if your life is just one big endless frustration. We read uh, these verses last week from Mark chapter 10. Uh, the disciples are kind of complaining to Jesus about, oh my gosh, you know, uh, our, we have, we have left everything to follow you. We've given up everything. Is this going to be worth it? Is sort of the question on the table. And Jesus responds, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. He throws in that cryptic line there at the end. I think what's going on in that short passage is that Jesus is saying, look, I know following me and working with me and me and my disciple and my co-minister can be a bit of a drag. It can be kind of a hard slog. And I know that you have not necessarily seen all the rewards uh, that you might like to see. But let me assure you, that even though in this life you will receive persecutions, trials, tribulations, um, you will also get good things out of the deal. You will, for instance, get a large spiritual family. You will get resourcing for anything that you need in the present age, in this life. I'm going to take care of you even in this life. But then you get to live eternally. <laughs> so let me underscore that one, that really that's where your head should be. And the first shall be last, and the last first he puts in there. From time to time, it seems that Jesus is implying, from time to time, we will have seasons of life. We may have long seasons of life in which it seems we're getting nothing out of the deal. You know, we, don't, we don't see a lot of rewards from our discipleship. But even during those times, we can look forward to eternal life. That seems to be what Jesus is saying. We do need the ability 
from time to time to follow on nothing but the promise of eternity. That is an important element in successful discipleship. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to be able to follow and obey even when there is no earthly payoff to it. Amen? Just ask any martyr you come across, whether a dying martyr or a living martyr, which is a phrase uh, used by one or two of the apostles. Just ask any unsung hero that you come across, someone who's just served the Lord faithfully for decades maybe, never has gotten anything out of it, no recognition, anything like that. The unsung hero. And I think the unsung hero is why Jesus adds the line, uh, the first shall be last and the last first. You know, it's as if he's saying, yeah, I will take care of you in this life. But I'm telling you guys, in the kingdom of God, uh, a lot of people who have a huge reward in heaven, who are going to be first in the kingdom, in the next life, look like complete losers right now. Just so you know. Just so you know. Which is a powerful bracket. Do you think that's true? Look around right now and see if you can spot any losers. I'll give, I'll give you a moment. Why are you all looking at me? What, what gets me, but bothers me, what throws off my discipleship is that I interpret, I look at my life and I interpret my, my, my last place position. Actually, I don't think I'm in last place. I think I'm kind of like middle of the pack. Seems to me I have a middle of the pack life. And I look at that and I interpret it as God's disrespect or disinterest in me. You know, it's hard for me to think, oh yeah, I'm middle of the pack now, baby. But, boy, I have a big payoff in eternity. And as soon as I lose track of that, it throws off my discipleship. It takes away my legs. It ruins my stamina. Does that happen to anybody? Anyway, that's kind of what, that's kind of what we're talking about uh, today. Very important to keep eternity in mind if you are a discipleship of Jesus. We've talked about discipleship this morning. We talked about it last week. Let me review last week. What is discipleship? Someone almost remembered my definition, and it was my wife. Uh, discipleship is effortful growth. Effortful growth. It applies to lots of areas of life and it certainly applies to the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to require effort and it's going to require growth. Both have to be happening in your life all the time. Uh, the opposite of kingdom discipleship is not unbelief. The opposite of kingdom discipleship is foot dragging. It's a lack of discipline. Discipleship comes from the word discipline. If you have a lack of discipline, a foot dragging, if you're reluctant, that's the opposite of discipleship. Uh, the op to be a good disciple, uh, I mean, if you're a bad disciple, it doesn't mean that you're an unbeliever. I mean, Satan believes in Jesus. But he drags his feet a lot. So really, if you want to be a good disciple, the attitude that you have to crush in your life is the attitude of foot dragging. The opposite of discipleship is not unbelief. It is rebellion. It is insubordination. These little tiny rebellions, these foot draggings, these reluctances, or lukewarmness, as Jesus describes it in Revelation uh, 3. Jesus dealt with the problem of poor discipleship a lot uh, in his followers and the guys around him, but usually he did not correct it by forced discipline. 
he corrected lukewarmness in us by reminding us how worth it discipleship is. He tried to inspire us in other words. Uh, And one huge key to discipleship is for us to think a lot about how worth it this is. And if you're not thinking a lot about how worth it discipleship is, then you probably suck as a disciple. You're going you're gonna to get thrown off your game. So that was lesson uh, number one. Uh, and one reason discipleship is really worth it, really the only reason anyone would ever need when it comes right down to it, is that discipleship gains you eternal life, which again is a fairly big deal. All right. If you don't think it's a big deal, just wait till you're on your deathbed. It will probably come to you. Again, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his his uh, only son, that whoever believes in him, and another way to translate that is whoever trusts in him, I'll talk about the difference more in a moment, will live forever. That's the promise uh, on which this is based. Eternal life is, uh, is a, a big deal. It is such an enormous deal. I mean, imagine if you invented the secret to living forever. How rich would you be? It's a, it's a big deal. It's what everybody wants. But it's a strange deal, and that is beyond our perceived experience. No one has any, uh, any experience to report from the next life. You know, near-death experiences aside and all of that stuff. It's just not part. Eternity is not part of the way we perceive the world typically. And even in Jesus' day, there was a huge controversy about whether there was a next life or not. Uh, The Pharisees and the Sadducees, if you read the Gospels, you read about these two religious parties. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection and to eternal life. They get a bad rap, but they got that right. The Sadducees didn't. They believed that if God had favor on you, if you please God, you would get a lot of goodies in earthly living, but then you die and be no more. Uh, And the Pharisees said, "If, uh, if God found favor on you, you would get a lot of earthly goodies in this life, and you would get resurrection. Uh, Jesus, obviously, was in the eternal life camp, but he said a little bit differently. If God uh, finds favor, if you find favor with God, uh, then you may or may not get a lot of earthly goodies. It may look a little funky, but you will definitely get goodies in heaven, so think a lot about that. Jesus talked about this a lot. He talked about eternity a ton. What strikes me is a little bit odd. Because, you know, if, if eternal life uh, is so significant, you think he'd like mention it once and people would get it. But he's constantly bringing it up uh, throughout the Gospels, which, again, encourages me to think about it often. It's as if Jesus were saying, and in case you forgot this week, let me tell you again, store up for yourselves treasure in the next life. And in case you forgot this week, let me tell you again, uh, do not fear one who can destroy the body and do more. Do more. Fear the one who, who can uh, cast you into uh, eternal annihilation. He's, he's constantly talking uh, about uh, the next life. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. The point I want to stress this morning. In the same way that you have to think a lot about how worth, how worth it discipleship is, good discipleship requires that you think a lot about eternity. That you think a lot about the next life. And if you're not thinking a lot about the next life, you're probably stunted as a disciple. It's probably slowing you down. Um, Might take you out 
We need to give it focused attention. We need to condition ourselves to be eternity-minded because it's not something that happens to us naturally. We need to really work at it effortfully, like a discipline. So a good question for the morning might be, how interesting is eternal life to you? I asked a little earlier, how many of you thought about eternal life this week? And, I don't know, half a dozen of you raised your hands. Um, that's, that's probably not good. Uh, that might mean that you're vulnerable. That when a really challenging season comes, uh, you're going to get frustrated and taken out. Something like that. Uh, it should be very interesting because, you know, it is eternal life, for Pete's sake. It's fairly large. It should be very interesting. It, could be, it should be compelling. It should be driving you. Is it? And if it's not, why not? And the only answer to that is if eternal life is not your compelling motivation in life, um, then it probably means in a way, shape, or form you're kind of, kind of distracted by things of this life. And that would be a paraphrase of a Jesus teaching. Uh, let's read from Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Uh, a pretty famous Jesus teaching from his Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Which, can I just stop there and say, I just love the phrase, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, which means that what we do now increases our wealth in the next life. I don't even know how that works. I don't even know what wealth will look like in the next life. But it's not just about getting in to eternity. It's about, you know, what you have waiting for you when you get there. So that's motivating to me. Think a lot about it. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is, of course, the heart of the matter, I think. If you're thinking a lot about earthly things, then your heart will be on earth. That will screw you up. If you think a lot about the next life, then your heart will be in eternity and that will keep you, that will keep you straight and strong. The eye is the lamp of the body, he continues. If your eyes are healthy, and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then finally, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the, under, the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, which is a, uh, a verse that I like to teach on. But I think what Jesus is saying here in general at the end is, if you think a lot about earthly goodies, you will serve earthly goodies. If you think a lot about heavenly goodies, you will serve the master of heaven. And there's no middle ground. You will serve one or the other, which is a very potent teaching. Um, but let's focus in here a second on the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye, eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What's he talking about there? Well, again, in general terms, he's talking about perception, isn't he? The eyes are how we perceive things, how we perceive light, revelation in the world. He's speaking metaphorically, of course, about the eye of our life, the way that we perceive things. If you perceive things well, 
your eyes are healthy, then you know, you'll live well. You'll be healthy in your life. If you perceive things poorly, if the eye is unhealthy, then you'll be filled with darkness. You know, it kind of goes to perceptions. You could talk a lot more about it, but I think he's talking about the way we perceive things. And the way we perceive what specifically? Well, the way we perceive this life versus the next life is what the context is here in this passage. If you perceive things through an eternal lens, you'll be a healthy person. If you think a lot about the next life, you'll be a healthy person. When it comes right down to it, I think that's what he's saying. If you don't perceive things in terms of eternity, if you don't think a lot about the next life, then, you know, it almost doesn't matter what else uh, you're doing. You'll be filled with that darkness. Wherever, whatever gets in your eye, whatever filters through your perceptions, whatever you're perceiving that inexorably, irresistibly comes to influence you, so, very, very sobering uh, teaching. It seems like eternity should change everything. If we get to live forever, if there's a next life and we, if, in which we get infinite rewards, then it seems like that should change absolutely everything about how we perceive the world around us, how we perceive life, and how we live it. It should change all of our metrics for life, all of our measures for success and failure, uh, the sacrifices that we're willing to make. It should change the foundations of our joy and our expectations in life. It should change the way we look at people. Jesus says that over and over again. It should change everything about us. Just the idea of eternal life should change everything about us. It should rivet us. It should motivate us. It should absorb us. We should kind of be obsessed with it, actually, because eternal life is that big of a deal. But are we? Does it really motivate us, or is it just kind of something hanging out there in the space of theology? And the way you answer that question, I think, says a lot about your ability to live a life of discipleship. It seems to be that's what Jesus says anyway. Your brain is only so big. If it is filled with earthly concerns, then that will force out the eternal ones. If it's obsessed with eternal concerns, then it will force out a lot of the earthly ones. Your brain's only so big, only so much space in there, people. Let me tell you. I am here to testify. Well, uh, let me ask you this then. Uh, just kind of wrap up this meditation on eternity. Do you want eternal life? Do you want to escape death? Two of you do. I see one hand. Three, four of you do. Excellent. I think I've made my point. Uh... If anything should make you think about the fires of hell, I think Palama Jim should. Really. No, that was not my theology about hell. Don't, don't, don't anybody run with that. It's just a joke. Um, do, you, do, you want, do you want to live forever? Do you want, do you want a next life? 
You want a next life with God. A next life with God with a whole bunch of rewards and goodies and celebrations and purpose and stuff like that. Sound good? Yeah? Anyone? Uh, what's needed to get eternal life? I think it's discipleship. Yeah. I mean, it's Jesus. Yes, Jesus is always the right answer. It's either Jesus or pray. But, but in particular, uh, a relationship of, with a certain relationship with Jesus, a following after Jesus, discipleship. I think it's discipleship that is necessary. If I put it this way, how would you answer? What is needed for you to get eternal life? Discipleship or belief? I, I think the, the good evangelical Christian answer is usually like belief. You need to believe in Jesus. Yes, but, but what does that mean? I think it means discipleship. That's why I like the word trust instead of the word belief, right? You could believe in Jesus, and that doesn't really get you anything. As I said, Satan believes in Jesus. Satan knows all about Jesus. I don't think Satan is getting in. Trusting Jesus, entrusting yourself to Jesus, that's different, right? That requires a risk. That requires a dedication, some effort. That requires discipleship in a word. Um, I, uh, I'm always struck by how often Jesus teaches about that, sort of the difference between uh, belief or, or lip service and the real effort of discipleship. Uh, one of my favorite parables, well, I don't know if my favorite because it scares me, but m most, uh, one of the most influential uh, parables in my life uh, comes from Matthew uh, 25. I'm in the wrong book here. There you go. A parable of the sheep and the goats. I'll just read it, uh, verses 31 through uh, about 46. When the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Good to be a sheep. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Kind of lists all of these justice-y things. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You walked it out, you served people, you made sacrifices for my sake. You're in. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Not good. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me, clothe me. I was sick in prison and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. You did not walk it out. 
then they will go away to eternal punishment, or my favorite translation, they will go away to eternal penalty. But the righteous to eternal life. That's the difference. The difference is how you walk it out, right? It's not whom you call Lord. It's what you do with that. Not the only time Jesus stresses that point. Um, in, uh, in Matthew, this, this little parable comes right after the parable of the talents. You know that parable? Where in the parable, a master gives uh, quantities of gold to some of his servants, and the master goes away and he comes back, and a couple of the servants made wild investments with their gold. They really tried to multiply it, and they in fact did uh, have successful investments, and the master rewards them. And then one servant said, oh, I knew you were a hard master. I didn't do anything with, what, with the resources you gave me. And uh, he, gets, he, get, he gets fired in a very final sort of way. Um, so that attitude of all out is what Jesus is uh, extolling in, in this series. You get the same sort of thing in, in an earlier teacher teaching in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. You know this one, right? For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. There it is again. You know, it, you have to stay focused to find the narrow gate, right? You have to really look for it because it's small. You have to be eternally minded or you might miss the way to eternity, in other words. There are other teachings about this. Those of you who know the Gospels could probably think of them, but they're fairly motivating. Got to be careful with this thinking, you know, because it's not as if God's not generous. It's not as if God is not incredibly gracious. My favorite conversion story, again, is the criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus. The other criminal is insulting Jesus, and uh, the good criminal is... Uh, says, oh, leave him alone. Uh, this Jesus seems like a nice guy. And then he says to Jesus, hey, dude, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You get in. You get in. So getting, getting in, finding access is evidently uh, fairly easy. So what's the problem? What's the problem with the goats? What's the problem with the people that sort of wander into the way of destruction instead of staying focused on the narrow gate. What happens there? Well, um, I think, in a nutshell, the problem is, is probably when one thing that we mentioned earlier. I think the problem is, is foot dragging. I think the problem is lukewarmness, right? It's not, it's not a belief thing, right? They knew enough, those goats, to call Jesus Lord, Lord. So far, so good. But then the frictions of the world got them, and they decided just to get lazy about it, to not take care of people, to not live as if this life was about the next life. And they got lukewarm. In another 316, Revelation 316, uh, Jesus says, um, I wish 
you are either hot or cold. Because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's, it's, it's the foot-dragging attitude that is the danger, right? Unbelief, being cold, doubting, that's actually not the big danger in the kingdom of God. That's actually not why you get judged. You know, that's not why you get penalized at the end of days. It's not, it's not because you were uncertain about things. You, but if you believe and do nothing about it, that's a toxic attitude. Because that attitude will teach all the other believers that they shouldn't be too serious about things. Right? That's like, that attitude is like a cancer. It's lukewarmness that is the chief enemy to the kingdom of God. Not unbelief. Unbelief you can deal with. Lukewarmness, you can't do anything with it. That seems to be what, what Jesus is, is saying. Um, that criminal on the cross, he, he got in and, and then he died. Maybe that was good, right? Maybe it was good that it worked out for him that way. Maybe if some miracle had happened and he had gotten down off the cross and lived another 30 years, maybe he would have got sucked away by the world. Maybe he would have started serving mammon instead of serving the Lord God. You know, that's how it works sometimes. I'm all, I'm all for deathbed conversions. I've done a lot of baptisms in hospitals. Might not be the best way to store up heavenly rewards. I mean, you don't have a lot of time if you're hanging on a cross to really, you know, build up your heavenly 401k. But, you know, at least you get to be with Jesus in, in paradise. Uh, so that's cool. Anyway, this is why I prefer the rendering of John 3.16 that uses the word trust instead of the word belief. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever trusts in him should not perish, but have eternal life. <clears throat> do, uh, do you want eternal life? Uh, how important is it to you? How riveting is it to you? It's a lot at stake on that question, you know. It's a lot at stake. Uh, every so often, I think it's worth thinking about. Are you going to live forever, or are you going to be destroyed? That's really what the fire uh, for Satan and his angels is about. That's a destruction. It blinks you out. It's like euthanasia. It puts you down. Do you want to live forever or do you want to be put down? I mean, for, for some of you, how you respond to that question today might make all the difference. I mean, it's a fairly momentous decision. Do you want to live forever or do you want to fool around and get destroyed? Do you want to live forever or do you want to drag your feet and hem and haw and be lukewarm and just kind of go with the flow and get destroyed? That's how Jesus puts it, right? Why be a disciple? You get to live forever. Why be careful to be a good disciple? <laughs> well, because the alternative really stinks. Crystallizes uh, thing. Uh, so, what would you be willing to do to get eternity? 
So let's pray. I pray, Father, that you would stamp us with eternity. It's hard for me to keep track of in my daily life, which is why I have to think about it so much. I just lose track of what's at stake. I lose track of the next life. I get overwhelmed by current situations and circumstances. Stamp us with eternity. I pray that you would make people for whom eternal life is always front and center. And I pray that you would um, turn us into people who actually make it, who actually get there. I pray that you would make us good disciples. I pray that you would eliminate the spirit of foot dragging and disinterest and casualness from our lives. I pray that we wouldn't lose a single one uh, who's here, Lord. No one would have to be put down for a toxic attitude. So I pray, Lord, for a spirit of repentance this morning, uh, a spirit of new thinking and life change, in other words. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the ability to, uh, to repent from lukewarmness and foot-dragging and casualness because it's worth it, just because it's worth it, Lord. Again, Father, perfect your agenda for every individual here today. I pray we'd all be changed at least a little bit before we go. In Christ's name, everybody says, amen.